Welcome to A Bevy of Bloods, a fan podcast of the Sydney Swans Football Club. I'm Noddy. I'm joined by Steve-O. How are you going, Steve-O? Yeah, good, mate. How are you going? Yeah, good, thanks. In this episode, as always, we're going to review the round just finished, touch on some hot topics in the AFL, preview the upcoming round, and do it all with a very biased focus on our beloved Bloods. Without further ado, let's get stuck in. Okay, the round just finished. Let's have a look at how our Swannies did in round two, the first home game of season 2021. And what a way to start at the SCG on a sunny Saturday afternoon with the Swans getting a solid victory, scoring 18, 13, 121 to Adelaide's 11, 22, 88. So, Steve-O, first impressions, what did you think? Oh, look, it was great to get another win. I mean, if you told me three weeks ago it would be two and zero at the start of the season, I'd be happy. So I'm just going to sit with that and not try and get expectations too far ahead I think just really pleased to see them get the win yeah absolutely mate okay so reaction to team selection um, I think we were pretty okay with Buddy Franklin coming in for McLean even though uh, you know McLean played well in round one when it's Buddy you make way for Buddy so uh, that's fair enough don't you think yeah I mean McLean's unlucky he played really really well but there's no shame in getting dropped for one of the greatest forwards that's played the game and look McLean's a good young player he's going to be back I think we'll see more of him Definitely. And Rowie, uh, obviously, after that um, pretty horrific-looking uh, hyperextension, uh, was confirmed as having bruising in the bone or bone bruising. So uh, it was obviously named unfit. And in his place was Justin McInerney. So um, I think you were, I think you had predicted him as one of the players coming in. I, I probably had uh, Dylan Stevens coming in. But um, what did you think of that replacement? Yeah, I mean, I think both both of them, either him or Stevens, would have been good replacements. They both um, offer a really good, um, clean running game. And as we saw, um, McInerney came in and had a really good game. So, yeah, it was a good call to bring him in. Juzzy all the way, mate. Um, okay, so what, what were your key takeaways for the game? We'll just touch on those before we dig into some of the details. Okay, I mean, it, it was a good win and it was a solid win, like 30-odd points. Um, but especially the second half, it wasn't dominant. There were big periods of this, this the third quarter where they, they were on top of us, really, and were just wasteful. Um, we finished with a, a rush of goals towards the end of that third quarter, which I think put it out to a match-winning lead. The game was over at three-quarter time, effectively. And then in the final quarter, they got some, um, some more dominance, I think, and just didn't put on the scoreboard, which is the same problem in the third. Um, I sort of felt that the main thing wasn't really the margin. The result was the important thing. We could see that by, I mean, Longmire arrested Franklin in the last quarter. Franklin had 37% game time only in the last quarter. Uh, young Logan McDonald had 41%. Campbell, who'd had an amazing first half and a bit, only played 68% of the last quarter. So I think really the focus was on going forward and in trying to get their list and their, um, and their plans and stuff in place. So I think it was a good win. Absolutely. And we scored well for the second uh, week in a row. Um, and this game, we had 11 different goal kickers. So it's just showing that we're, we're starting to be a bit more dangerous across the board. Um, as we've noticed, uh, the second Logan McDonald comes in, it gives our forward line more shape and structure. And then Buddy comes in and it looks even better. So we've got the three tools there. Um, the other thing is that blend of youth and age is like continues to strike quite a nice balance. Um, as you've uh, commented, we were quite fortunate the Crows weren't uh, more accurate. Um, but let's I'm just going to put it out there, say they were somewhat helped by a huge free kick count, but I think we'll, we'll go into the specifics of that later on. Um, the last takeaway I wanted to mention was, welcome back, Buddy. How fantastic. It was basically the Buddy Franklin show. I think I counted 13 or 14, what I call Buddy Cam, um, moments where there were like, <laughs> not not extreme close-ups, but definite, definite like, like some sort of, uh, you know, framing of Buddy on the screen. Basically every quarter started and finished with him and there was a fair few of him on the bench. There was one that was uh, Hemi Cam, which was, which was cool <laughs> as well. But uh, I mean, who cares? How wonderful. It was so great to have Buddy back. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. Um, like one other thing I'll add there too, though, and we've mentioned there um, the high scoring. I mean, the Swans, it's two weeks in a row now, the Swans have got the high score of the round, both against Brisbane and now, now the Crows. We got the top score in the AFL that week. But in round one, we also conceded the highest score of all winning teams. And in round two, the second highest. So we are scoring a lot of points, but we're letting a lot in. 
Yeah. Okay. So that is that's quite a big point. Um, so Sydney has obviously been known for its sort of gritty, uh, you know, hard style of play and super tight defence. Not necessarily for its expansive, flowing running game, which is sort of what's happening at the moment. But yeah, you know, which is good um, to keep up with the likes of pe- perhaps the Tigers, and we'll talk about that later on. But it's the defence that we need to make sure that we're um, we're, we're keeping nice and tidy and and. Perhaps that hasn't been the case, but I'll, I'll just give a quick um, quarter by quarter breakdown of the scores. So first quarter, we won four goals to three. Second quarter, we won five goals to one. Uh, third quarter, we won six goals to two. And the fourth quarter, the Crows beat us five goals to three. Um, but basically, the damage was done by, uh, by the end of the third quarter. But really, it was sort of a, a story of two halves, I think. Um, and I think as we talk about this, to the team stats, uh, that'll sort of um, come come to the fore, Steve-O. So do you want to mention a couple of team stats? Yeah, um, there's, there's a few that I'll mention. Two I'll focus on first, which I think really shows this idea of a game of two halves that you brought up. And they're the same two stats that I focused on last week, which is uncontested possessions and marks inside 50. Um, if you look at the uncontested possessions for the whole game, Swans had 232 to 179, which is a, a good good win. In the first half, Swans had 143 to 72. That's you know almost double, which is massive. And and like I said last week, these uncontested possessions are so important. That's where you can really start to break away from the other team. Um, and then marks inside 50, we won 15 to 12 that stat over the whole game. But in the first half, we had seven to one in favour marks inside 50. So that really shows, I think, what you were talking about, Nod, with the the idea of you know how dominant we were in the first half versus a maybe a more even second half. Where the crows uh, absolutely. I, I mean, we've, we've spoken about like if if the crows were were more accurate, then I think a, a, anyone could understand that they they would have pipped us. But let's we'll actually look at it. So in the first half, Swans caught um, kicked five behinds, um, and the crows kicked six behinds. And it, it, even though we took a lead into the first half, um, it was still pretty. It was still a fairly close content uh, contest, even though we had um, some majority of of those of the disposals and, and stuff you were just talking about there. But in the second in the second half, and so if we lump the third and the fourth together, um, if we look at behinds, uh, we kicked seven and they kicked sixteen, and of those three were rushed behinds. So let's let's take those three rushed behinds away to leave thirteen goals. Um, or 13 behind, sorry. Let's assume that they only make half of those, less than half. Let's assume they make six of those if, if they're kicking more accurately on any given day. Um, so that's an additional 36 points, um, in which case the Crows would have beaten us 124 to 121. So that would have been a tragedy. First home game of the season, Buddy's back. We lose by three to the Crows who finished dead last last year, didn't they? They yeah. were in the bottom four, right? So, um, yeah, so obviously things went our way in that regard and we're fortunate, but we, we also applied um, good amounts of pressure throughout the game um, to get ahead in the contest and also eventually win in the contest. Um, so, you know, I'm not taking anything away from us, but, yeah, something to certainly be wary of, right? I'd like a take a cautious approach ahead. Yeah, definitely. And, and that sort of, that kind of in tight stuff, which you talk about, those little things came up in the one percenter stats too. And so one percenters, we're talking about stuff like smothers, shepherds, blocks, spoils, knock-ons, chases, corralling, all of these things that don't normally pop up on the stat, on the stat sheet. Um, and according to the, to the listed stats, at least we won that stat 53 to 33. I'm not sure exactly how they calculate what counts as a chase or whatever, but, but still like it, it shows that there was that effort around the ball to do the team things, which I really liked. Um, and I think it comes out in the way that the Swans have been playing the last couple of weeks too. Like they actually are, they're playing for each other and one, one percenters really show that, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, okay, well, let's, let's, let's jump straight into our favourite moment, Steve, because that's, that's how the game played out. So what were your uh, favourite moments throughout the game? Um, I've got two that I'll bring up this week. Um, both involve Tom McCartan, um, who had a really great game, I think. Um, and what I really want to do is show why he's so effective as a tall marking backman and why he's such a good intercept player as well when he plays on these big forwards. Um, 
I think it's really hard to, because when you watch the TV and you watch at the game, the camera follows the ball. And when you're watching the game live, of course, you follow the ball because you, you've got your eye on the game. So you don't really see a lot of what happens ahead of the ball and get an idea of what he's doing to get himself so well positioned. Because we just see the camera and then all, all of a sudden McCartan's there in two metres of space taking a clean mark and he's forwards floating around somewhere else. Um, so what he does really well is body work and anticipation. So first of all, I'll, I'll talk about his body work. Um, in the third quarter, uh, 2.56, I checked on the tape, there's a kick out goes towards the wing. Uh, McCartan's on Walker, and we get a really good view of this because it's the behind the goal angle. We don't normally get this from the side to side, so you, you don't always get to see this stuff, but this is a good one to look at. Um, so McCartan, he's aware of where his opponent is. As soon as he reads where the ball's going to drop, he initiates body contact himself, like he makes the effort to initiate the contact with Walker. It gets Walker away from that space where the ball's going to land, and in the end, McCartan gets in the perfect position. He drops a mark he would almost always take, but that doesn't matter because it shows the point that we're, we're trying to look at, this early body contact and control of that dangerous space, which he does so well. And then the second one looks more at his anticipation. So in the second quarter, um, 8.23 on the tape, if you're looking back, um, there's a centre bounce. McCartan's lined up at uh, fullback on Walker. Again, uh, the Crows win the clearance. A long kick goes in towards Walker. McCartan reads the direction and the flight of the kick, backs himself to attack it rather than waiting for his opponent and be reactive. Um, you know, follow his opponent, try and pressure spoil. He, he actually looks like a leading forward coming out, not a defender. Um, and that's his anticipation, like his ability to, to read the flight of the ball and the, and, the, um, and the kick and to actually back himself to go and get it rather than worrying in first about his man. And I think that's the reason why these, um, these converted forwards do so well in the back line. And we've had some really good ones. Um, their instinct is ball first. And the Swans have had, you know, Leo Barry, Ted Richards, Heath Grundy have all come in that sort of way. And I think, yeah, we could have another good one in, in um, young McCartan. Absolutely, and I think it doesn't. Didn't um, Reg Grundy didn't wasn't his first game or his first couple of games playing full forward and kicked a couple of goals before they swung him back and basically stayed there for the, the rest of his career. Mm, yeah, I think all three of those guys. Um, yeah, Barry Richards. They Grundy. started forward. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, if it works, it works. You know, Let, let's keep doing it. Um, and I think we were talking about um, the way that he's reading the ball and just sort of backing himself to to attack it, leave his player. It, it actually looks quite similar to how Jeremy McGovern goes. And obviously, Jeremy McGovern is like one of the, the best fullbacks or so backs in the game for that. He can get shown up every now and then on a bad matchup. But when he follows his instinct and chases the ball, he, he, he looks incredible. And, and honestly, um, patches throughout that game against the Crows, McCartan looked exactly like that. And, and that is so exciting, I think, for the Swans. Mm, yeah, definitely. He's looking really good. So uh, were they your two favourite moments? Or yeah, any those, those two for me was, was it for this week, I think. Yep. Okay, mate. Well, I'm going to shout out a couple of mine. Uh, the first one was Buddy's first goal. Let's just say welcome back, Buddy. Thank you, kind sir, for gracing us with your presence. Uh, we love you uh, forever and forever. Uh, basically, the play that I'm talking about was 10:21 in the first quarter. Uh, so, Golden, there's that name again. Um, oh, sorry, Dan. Oh, this is this is a this is from our back. This is from our goal square. Dawson kicks in. He so he play it plays on. Um, kicks to Reed in the contest. Uh, Goulden handballs to Lloyd, who kicks to Warner, who kicks back to Goulden, and then Goulden kicks inside 50. Callum Mills runs a beautiful dummy line, and Buddy takes the mark right on the 50. Um, and so he ends up um, going back for the, the shot around nine minutes, 50 seconds, um, and, he, and he slots it. It's beautiful, 52 metres out, just like what he's been doing his whole career. Fantastic. Welcome back. I think his last game was his 300th against the Saints at the SCG uh, at the end of the 2019 uh, season. So it's been a long time between drinks um, or innings rather and fantastic to have him back. Um, I think the funny, the funniest thing was he high-fived um, Kennedy was right next to him first. And then I think the next person to get to him was, was Errol Goulden. And there's obviously <laughs> a bit of a disparity in height. And so it, it actually, Buddy like bear hugged him around the head. So it looked like it was a man playing with a boy. And, and look, if you look at their height difference, it, uh, you, you know, you could, but it was just fantastic to see the way that Buddy gets around the um, the youngsters of the team. And it was just very exciting to have him, have him back. Um, the second moment was, 
nothing too special. I just, uh, as I've pointed out, I, I, Luke Parker is one of my favourite players. And a moment there where McCartan uh, got an intercept mark, he kicks to Campbell, and Campbell had a blinder, and we're going to go into that later on. Um, he kicks long to Parker. Um, this, Sorry, this is in the third quarter um, with a, about three or four minutes to go. Um, and Parker does this cool little tap <clears throat> over the head of his defending player and then snaps it on his right foot and sneaks it in. And I just thought, that's cool, Parker. He, he often has a way of bobbing up and kicking these incredible goals over the journey. He's, he's been, you know, goal of the week contender several times with behind the, you know, bicycle kicks and all these crazy kicks. But yeah, I thought that was another, another brilliant moment from Luke Parker there. My third moment was... Um, Buddy's third goal. So Buddy got three, kicked three, two. Um, the second one was good, but I'm, I'm going to focus here on the third um, as one of the favourite moments. So Blakey and Papley uh, pile a huge amount of pressure on um, Murray. Uh, the ball bobbles. Reed gets it, handballs it to Florent, handballs it to Goulden. Again, here's that name. Uh, kicks inside 50. Uh, McDonald gets it and he, he handballs to uh, Buddy. And I think we're saying he's almost excited to handball to Buddy. Uh, we don't know if it was excitement or fear because I don't think he went to him earlier in the day and then Buddy shot a, shot a look at him. So I think it was um, it was somewhere in between excitement and fear. But anyway, handball to Buddy and Buddy kicks a goal. And that's right at the end of the third quarter. And that, was, that brought up the biggest uh, margin of the game of 51 points. The Swans were ahead. And that, that ties into your point that it was basically over. Uh, at that point, even though the, the Crows did come back. Um, but yeah, so the other thing I will mention, uh, they were my um, favourite game moments. Um, I will have a quick shout out to a couple of people who were sitting next to uh, where, where we sit in the O'Reilly, the, next to the Rabble. Um, a, a wonderful husband and wife by the name of Chris and Lisa. And as it turns out, Chris and Lisa's son, Tom, is Braden Campbell's longest friend, so childhood friend. So obviously it's been well documented that Errol and Braden are, are really, really good mates. They've been playing AF or you know, Aussie rules together um, since the age of 10. But it turns out Tom is, I, I think, even an older friend, like a life, like, you know, primary school era. Um, and they were there it was their first AFL game live um, to support Braden and, and just how fortuitous that they were next to us. And um, uh, I think Tom had grown up playing soccer. So there was no, no crossover there like um, between Braden and Errol, but um, a wonderful thing happened. They were invited to the Campbell's household uh, on draft night. And so obviously when the Hawks bid and we matched and then uh, selected uh, Braden Campbell at, with pick five in the draft last year um, at the, the Campbell household erupted and, and Chris Lee, and Tom were all there. In fact, Tom was the first one to, to embrace uh, Braden and say, well done, mate. So I was just so stoked to have met uh, Chris and Lisa and, and, um, and, and learnt about uh, the family and the connection and apologies for the, for the complete rabble that we were. There was, a, there was plenty of passion flying about that <laughs> afternoon and a couple of uh, bevies as well. But uh, yeah, I just wanted to have a shout out to them and, and also thanks for um, uh, letting me mention them in, in the podcast. So they were my moments, Steve-O. It was a wonderful day out at the footy. It sounds like it was great. And that's fantastic. Like a story like that to me is important. I mean, for many reasons, but one of the, the real reasons, because it shows the way that, that the Sydney Swans and what they're doing through the academies and stuff is growing football in New South Wales and bringing people. Like you're talking about these people, it's their first game, right? And, and they've come yeah. to support someone who they've um, had a connection with their son over time. And this is bringing new people to footy. And I think it's fantastic. So yeah, that's a great story. Thanks for, um, thanks for sharing. Yeah, and look, we'll, we'll delve into um, Campbell's game later on, but perhaps he was he was playing well because he knew Chris and, and Lisa were in the crowd, and, <laughs> and maybe Tom, Tom was somewhere else with a group of mates having some beers. I don't know, who knows? But um, yeah, it was just it was it was just a really cool thing, and yeah, it just made the day uh, just that little bit more special. But um, why don't we go into the uh, A Bob B and F? So the okay. bevy of bloods best and fairest and then we can delve into a couple of player stats as we call out our five four three two one so steve why don't you kick us off there mate how did you who did you see um best on ground for us um my best was mccartan five votes to mccartan uh yep. four to campbell yep three for florent 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 uh two for warner and one for heaney Okay, mate. I went with five for Campbell, four for McCartan, three for Florent, uh, two for Gordon, and one for Warner. So we had a fair bit of crossover there. I think the only player I had... Did you have Warner? 
Yeah, I've got one. The only difference is I, I gave a vote to Heaney and you had Goulden in the in the votes. Okay, so okay, that, that was the one. difference. Yeah, everything else. I mean, Heaney, yeah. Heaney also had a fantastic game, three goals, um, effective around the ground. But let's let's start with McCartan. So we obviously spoke about him before with your favourite moments. Yeah. But let's let's have a look at some of the the stats that all the, the things that he did that contributed um, uh, to your picking him as five. Oh, look, the number one thing for me, I mean, okay, we can look at his game stats. So he had 12 intercepts, which was the most in the game, seven score involvements, 18 touches at 83% efficient, six marks, all really good stats. Um, but the thing that kind of that kind of grabbed me, because I've been watching the game on telly, thinking, um, you know, he's, he's done well, McCartan's had a good game. And then at the end, the commentators were saying how he'd been um, up against uh, Taylor Walker the whole game and conceded six. And I thought, hang on. And I didn't remember that. So when I watched the replay a couple of nights ago, I watched, I actually looked at every single contest where the ball was kicked in towards Walker for the entire match. Like I, I tallied them up. And nice, I, nice. Yeah. Good, good research. <laughs> well yep. done, mate. This is what I do with my free time. And um, there's a lot of free time. As, as the regular listeners will know, I'm in Finland and we're on a bit of a lockdown. So I got a lot of time to watch footy games. Um, awesome. Yeah. And so, so anyway, so of the, of the two main guys who played on, um, on Walker for the game was McCartan and Rampy. Of those contests where the ball came in towards Walker, Rampy was at 17 of those and McCartan was at 12. So Rampy has had more contests than, um, than McCartan has. But significantly, of those six goals that um, that people were talking about, zero of those goals happened when McCartan was on Rampy. I mean, was on, was on Walker, sorry, when McCartan was on Walker. And in fact, of the 12 contests that he had against Walker, he won eight, two were neutral and he lost two. So that means that two out of every three contests that this bloke has had against the informed forward of the AFL, he's won. That to me is an impressive game, you know? Yeah, it, it was incredible. I mean, he just, I think, I think, you know, he had all the, the stats that he collected, but he was just present, wasn't he? And, and he, and he'd go up in when he wasn't just roaming free and picking off marks at will, he was contesting impacts like we know he can do. Um, and he was bringing it to ground. He, he missed a couple of extra marks and, yeah, look, he it just was a, a blinder, and if he can con- continue that form for us down back, um, you know, in combination with Rampy and a couple of our other um, supporting third tools, then yeah, it's gonna. It's obviously we need to stem the flow uh, uh, somehow, but like you know, showing very good signs. So, um, all right, well, so I think you had Campbell at four, and I had him at five. So why don't we touch on? Braden Campbell's game obviously got the Rising Star nomination, so that's two weeks in a row. Um, Sydney Swans player has got a Rising Star nomination, and I think there was a fantastic article on the Swans app where they delve into the history of the the Swans who have been nominated for the Rising Star and who have won. I won't go through that, but if if you have the app, go onto it and it's a, it's a great read. Um, but Braden Campbell, okay, twenty five disposals, six marks, uh, two tackles. Um, missed a goal uh, again like last week, but doesn't matter. He was so effective around the ground. Um, yeah, maybe maybe for Chris and Lisa, who knows? But yeah, I think he stepped up from round one, Steve. How did you see his game? Yeah, he was excellent. I mean, everything that he did last week to show us that he was um, that he was a very well justified um, top five selection. He improved on. I think he um he he took some ownership of parts of that game. I think which I really liked. Like he was very, very willing to be the go-to player to deliver that ball and to do it with authority. And yeah, that's how, that's how he ended up so high in my votes. Yeah, and he had a stack of metres gained. I can't remember. It was something like uh, 12 kilometres or something. It was <laughs> it, it, it was a fair chunk of, of ball movement and, and his run in the legs. I think, did you say you sent a screenshot that he, he was a bit, he was rested in fourth quarter or... Yeah, he. I think in the last quarter he was sixty-eight percent on ground. Sixty-eight percent. Oh, you mentioned that earlier. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, All right. Well, so I think we both had uh, Oli Florent Oflo um, at number three, and I don't really have any major individual stats for him other than he keeps bobbing up. You know, like um, he's in the top uh, inside fifty getters. He's uh, fourth highest disposals. You know, he was just he was he was clean and he was. He did a couple of really nice things um, and he just continues to, to show form. 
Was that your read of, of Ollie's game? Yeah, definitely. Um, and and like you said, he maybe he's not the stats leader in every category, but that doesn't matter. Um, what matters is his overall game. And and I think that he was very clean and damaging with his disposal. He's really smart and he uses the ball to open the game up. So on several occasions, because of a clever decision by Florent and a very clean disposal, it opened up attacking opportunities for us. And he did that regularly and, um, and he does it very, very well. So that's why I had him in the votes, yeah. Yeah. Uh, fantastic. Um, so I had Golden, you had Heaney. Um, give us a couple of thoughts on Heaney's game. Uh, eight marks, three goals. That's that's my thoughts. That's a pretty solid effort for a medium forward. Oh, I tell you what, the Heat, Isaac, the Heat, Heaney. He was <laughs> uh, he was getting up there. He he didn't he didn't take any huge hangers, but he he was ta- he was flying through the air like an absolute golden swan, wasn't he? So he. I don't know, it just, just sort of bubble the excitement bubbles, doesn't it? That he's just going to get up there and take a specky anytime soon. But um, so I went with Golden at two, obviously backed up his round one performance. Um, plenty of disposals for a second gamer um, where he's bobbed up. He's first, first in score involvements, um, second in goal assists. He, and he's just exciting. We just love the vibe of him. Oh, oh. They played the song, Steve-O, when they, he scored they his did, first yeah. goal. You know, they that played poor- this Poor kid, I reckon he's probably sick of it by now because every single Swans-related news outlet that I've heard in the last week has been harping on that song. Even Jared Healy mentioned it on the um on on the couch the other night. So I think the poor kid probably probably first of all wondering when this is going to stop and and wondering what the song actually is. So I'm sure he's got it blocked on his playlist now. Errol, sorry, mate. It probably <laughs> won't for a while. And uh, yeah, I guess it wasn't just us who thought uh, we weren't just the clever ones. It was a, an industry thing. But um, yeah, it was too good to pass up. But yeah, yeah fantastic. Um, and we both had uh, the Chad for one. Yeah, I had him. What did I had him? I had him two. You had him for one, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, okay. Two for me, there, one yeah. from you. Yeah. Um, I think we we're talking um, earlier off air and like his, his contested game just goes from strength to strength. He loves, ta- he's just the kind of bloke who loves tackling. Um, and he, he, for a second week in a row, he has the most inside 50. So the bloke just knows how to get it into an attacking uh, area. Like he knows how to get it on the boot, clear, you know, a relief of, of pressure by clearing it. But often it's towards uh, an attacking advantage, and he, it, that's just innate. I think that's in him, and he's just a he's just a competitor. And uh, yeah, I'm loving what I'm seeing. So, oh, you got those two goals really when we needed them as well. I think that last one especially, um, the Crows were on a bit of a run, and then uh, Chad Bob uh, gets the ball, runs forward, and, and kicks the goal, and that sort of iced it for us. But um, yeah, I mean, you're seeing similar sorts of things. Yeah, exactly that. I mean, just really great attack on the wall, good impact. He's one of these players that you notice when he when he attacks the footy because he just really goes at it. So, um, yeah, really good signs from him. And if he didn't wear the pink boots, I'd think he was Isaac Heaney the whole time. They look, yeah. I'd tell you what, apart from the missing sideburns, um, bit of a running joke there, Simpsons quote. But, um, yeah, no, I was very impressed with his game. And uh, I think based on that, he's, he's holding his spot. But we'll go into that later on. Um, I'll quickly touch on our... A bevy of Bloods fantasy AFL fantasy team. I'm just going to uh, just highlight a couple of players. Um, so obviously, Braden Campbell, Errol Goulden continue to be incredible value for the coaches that chose them. Um, 54% of coaches own Goulden and 50% of coaches own uh, Braden Campbell. So I think there's over a hundred thousand people that play this, this, this quote unquote game. It's a little bit obsessive. Um, I think you know that about me. Um, it, it's a little bit of an addiction for me. I, I, I love it. Um, but there's over, over a hundred thousand people that play this game across Australia and 50, more than 50% of those people uh, have chosen these two. So, so these are, it's not only Swans fans that are aware of these blokes. These are, these are, it's across the AFL. It's a real thing. And they're bringing such energy. Um, uh, I'll list out the top five scorers for us. Kennedy got 104. Parker got 98. Uh, Campbell got 96. Golden got 93. And Dawson got 87. Um, so, you know, they, you know, Kennedy and Parker, Mr. Reliables, um, do it, getting the job done. Dawson uh, with his beautiful left peg as well. Um, also doing quite well in an AFL fantasy sense. Um, Jake Lloyd, uh, even though he was second highest disposal getters in our game against the Crows, he he was the most expensive back to start the season. 
So he was worth 873,000, um, which was an equivalent average of 114. So to keep his value, he needed to score 114 every game. His average at the moment is 81. So he's lost 61,000. But that said, as we know with Jake Lloyd, he loves the pill. He loves racking it up. So I think he's going to come good for the rest of the year. It's just that he, we've got all these other players around him who are, who are really stepping up in the, in the vein of Campbell and Dawson. And, you know, and Rampy actually helped out with his beautiful left peg. We've we got so many left footers at the moment. How many left footers do we have? That's a question without, without notice there, Steve-O. A few. I think we've, Quite a few. We've got, we've got Rampy. We've got Dawson. We've got yeah. Campbell. We've got Blakey. I think Dylan Stevens has left. Buddy. We've got Buddy Golden. Um, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Well, he he can kick on both, but yeah. he's left, and then I think, yeah, I think that's a it's seven or it's seven or eight. I can't remember if you said this or I heard this somewhere else, but um, when the Hawks were planning for their premiership years, they were just targeting left footers. Was did you tell me that? Or did I hear that? From oh, I think it's else? been it's probably been said in a fair few places that that one. Um, and it's well documented. Yeah, and the thing with left footers, I mean, if you've got left foot kicks and right foot kicks, you can change your angles up. So it gives you um gives you some some different ways of moving the ball. You can hit different types of kicks. Um, and we were seeing we were actually seeing that in the game as well. It was sort of we were shifting um, to the fat side quite well, weren't we? So um, yeah. yeah, how you defend? Who, who knows? Too. Like if you're a player and you're playing against a player, then you have to defend a right foot kick and a left foot kick differently. So the defensive mentality of the opposition has to shift. Um, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Maddie Maddie Ling. Maddie Ling's a left footer. Mm, yeah. True. Beautiful left footer. Um, I'm just trying to think. Anyway, let's we'll, we'll double check that and we'll clarify that for next episode. Apologies, I did throw you on the spot there, um, but it's it's always good to know um, who's kicking left and who's kicking right. Um, but it, Steve, I think that's it for the review of round two against the Crows. So why don't we move on to some hot topics in the AFL? Okay, um, the first one we're going to look at is this ongoing confusion about suspensions for high contact. Um, in the AFL and it's come out again this week. It's been a constant thing for several years now. Um, there just seems to be a real lack of clarity around what prohibited high contact is and when it occurs, what the penalty should be. And this week of discussion through the football media has not helped. I mean, it's, there's still no clarity <laughs> and it's not yeah. going to change because, because I think there are structural problems within the system, which is a whole different episode of a podcast, which we won't go into. But, um, <laughs> but so for this week, there's four incidents that I think we can talk about. Um, the first one is actually from round one. It was Patrick Dangerfield that he got three weeks for. Second one was Selwood. Um, he got zero weeks and Rohan, Gary Rowan, Gary Rowan. Keep Rohan. Saying, keep saying it wrong. It's like the Lord it's of not, the Rings, you know, the writers of Rohan. It's Lord um, of the Lord of the Gingers, mate. That's Lord what it is. The, Lord of the Gingers. <laughs> I miss Gary. Gaz. I loved I love Gaz. I was anyway, sad to see him go. Gary him Rowan go. um got two weeks for an off the ball hit. Um, and then Sam Reed from GWS, not not our Sam Reed, not got our two Sam. weeks for a for a high bump. In my vision, in my vision, I was trying to say opinion. In my opinion, um, all four of these were bad and they all deserved suspensions. Um, the Rowan one, I think, was the worst of the lot for me. And the mm. Selwood one was also bad. And I split these two up into the Rohan, the Rohan one and the Selwood one. I can't do it. <laughs> I'm sorry. Your Finland has corrupted you, mate. I know you, <laughs> you're saying it's Lord of the Rings, but you get you have some funky pronunciation coming out, mate. It's it's all good. Gaz Rowan. Yep. Why is there an H there if it's just meant to be non not said? Anyway. It's, it's purely <laughs> aesthetic. Yeah. You know, if anyone can help us, if any any listeners know why there's an H in that name, let me know. Um, anyway, so the, the, the Gary, I'm just going to go Gary, the Gary one was, was, um, was bad. And so was the Selwood one, because these two to me had nothing to do with playing football. And if you split things that happen on a football field into things that are to do with football and that aren't, so things that are physical and aggressive to do with football or stuff like, you know, like a legal bump, a shepherd, a smother, a tackle, a spoil, this sort of stuff where you make physical contact with a person and it's a, a part of the game. And there is stuff like what happened in the in the Gary one and the Selwood one that has nothing to do with playing football. And in the in the Gary one, he hit a bloke way off the ball with his fist or his hand or whatever he did. And then it, Selwood's case, he had a player who was limp and who was no longer contesting the ball. He knew that the thing was over because the umpire had blown the whistle and he still dumped him on the ground. And to me, both of those things are um, are dangerous. 
the first one, the off the ball hit by by Gary Rowan, um, that was a couple of inches away from being the gaff hit all over again. You know, a couple, a couple yeah. of his hand slips up a little bit and there's teeth everywhere and it's a disaster. He's just lucky that he didn't, and that's it. And and yeah, he still he gets two weeks, and I think Gaff got what seven weeks or eight weeks or nine weeks. Or eight, yeah, but he yeah, demolished Brayshaw's yeah. mouth. Yeah, he did. It and was he, like missing teeth and no, it, it was, was messy. It was awful. I actually felt my my personal view on that one was that the suspension was not enough. Um, but yeah, that's, that's another conversation. I, um, the un, only thing about Gary Rowan it was that obviously you know. It, you, know, you can't just retaliate, but there was a definite like kind of collarbone neck punch from from Lockie Neal, and and obviously Gazza's completely overreacted and swung his right arm around it. His right bicep hits like the top of Lockie Neal's, I think, right shoulder, and he, it it bounces up and then sort of catches him in the jaw, and then he he falls to the ground and stays down long enough for, for the cameras, the, for everyone to pick up on it. But then he gets up and runs off and then waves three fingers at him. Doesn't have to go off. There's no head check. You know, so don't we look at him staging as well? Um, no, because I, I think what we need, I think with these ones, what we need to eliminate is the action. I don't, I don't really care if Lockie Neal has been pestering him all day. It doesn't bother me. Mm. I think what's important here is we need to remove this instinct to lash out like that when you're bothered on a football field because it can lead to what we saw in the gaff incident. Um, and I think we need to take that as a cautionary tale to completely wipe this stuff out. And the only way to do it is to be very aggressive on any of this type of behavior, whether it's from provocation or not. Um, yeah. We've spoken about this a lot before. Obviously, I grew up, um, my main sport was rugby union in New South Wales. And you, you couldn't, there was no niggle in the game because any niggle would actually lead to a, to a punch, to a punch up. And then when you when we're watching uh, watching the Swans and AFL growing up, you'd always see these punch to the gut and punch to the shoulder and all this niggle. And I'm like, how are they not just breaking out in fights every five seconds? So I understand there's like an element of that's just the game, but you know to avoid these scenarios where people can get like gravely injured, yeah, you've, you've got to stamp it out, right? Yeah, and I think we need to move on from this mentality of that's just the game to that was the game, and this is not a game that we want to have anymore. Um, we don't want to have a sport where a player can get seriously injured 100 metres away from the football um, because someone has thrown an arm at them or whatever they've done because they know that most of the time they're going to get away with it and the chances of a serious injury are low and it's only then that you're going to get um, get the suspension. It needs to be just cut out. I, I really think that a very strong line on this is um, is needed. Um, needed, yeah. yeah. I, and I think we'll speak... Like, so we're, we intend at some point to do a, a bit of a, a separate episode um, where we where we can go into this for, for people who are interested a little bit more to the like so the difference between the match review officer and the tribunal and the different legalese the you know all, all that sort of stuff but you know separating intention or the action from you know the outcome for like for me personally Steve I think the Selwood one was just disgusting like Tom Berry had stopped. He, Selwood looks at the umpire, the whistle, like, why would Tom Berry have stopped it? Tom Berry, Tom Berry stopped because the, the, the whistle went, right? Selwood, Selwood knew that. And he still, like, flings this guy to the ground. And just by, by pure chance, Tom Berry's head doesn't smash into the ground yeah. and therefore doesn't get concussed. And yeah. so he, he gets away with a, a fine. Or, but no, for me... I don't I, think he got started. That, I think it was He nothing. didn't even get it. Oh, nothing. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. So for me, that was, it just felt disgusting. Yeah, Obviously, Gaz had a complete brain fart. I don't condone it at all. Um, two weeks is probably fair. Danger, on the other hand, this is a bit of a tricky one, right? Yeah. And, and also, and if we come back to the cell one just quickly, I think the big problem with that is what you said. If, if Barry, the Brisbane player, gets concussed, then um, Selwood gets weeks. And this is their problem, is that they've got a system where everything is determined based on the outcome, not on the action or the intent. Um, and, and that's the mess. Um, we don't want to linger too much on this, so we'll just quickly talk about Dangerfield. Um, yeah, it's hard because it was in play, but at the same time, he could have not jumped into him. I think um, I think the suspension for me was fair. What do you, what do you think? I don't know. Maybe, th- I mean... <laughs> The fact that he broke, uh, I think it was Brown, uh, Adelaide's Luke Brown, I think, broke his nose and he was concussed. So obviously that's the worst outcome of these examples. I was at um, Nathan Fife, Fife obviously got floored as well and he's going to have a couple of 
um, potentially weeks out for concussion. Um, so maybe they were in the, the, that similar vein um, just purely for the, the types of incidents they were. But for, for me, Danger, I thought, had a point saying, you know, if he made a split-second decision to sort of change his position to protect himself more and then in doing so, unfortunately, completely crumpled Brown. I, I think there's a little bit of... I feel like I, you know, obviously danger is the danger show is, you know, it is what it is. But like I sort of half felt for him. But you know, three weeks he got three weeks, so I'm, I'm not going to fight it. But for me, that one was like a little bit more grey than the, like for for example the Selwood one. Like for, I thought the Selwood one was just like just yeah. disgusting. It was Sam Reed. I thought. I don't know. Sorry, what's before we move to Sam Reid? What did you think about Danger? Oh, just that, I mean, I think you said most of it. Just that um, the thing I feel there again is that he's gotten three weeks on the back probably of nasty injuries to the player. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, and that's it. Like, it wasn't awful. It wasn't great. He probably shouldn't have done it, but three weeks. Uh, okay. I mean, yeah, I don't yeah. know. And Sam Reid, did he get, he got two weeks, right? Yeah. And again, I think this is one where it's about the injury to the player. Fife got concussed. Um for an action by Sam Reed that I don't think looked that bad. It, it really, no. um, I, I think a bump like that happens so many times in a game and it just happened that this time there was an injury. And I don't think you can have a system where everything is backwards engineered from the level of, of harm. You've got to look at the act and what the problem with the act was and the intent of the act. But, you know, that's, that's not up to us, is it? Yeah. And look, we could go on and on yeah. and on about this, but like, let's, let's park it. We'll develop our thoughts yep. throughout the, the season as we see more incidents, because I'm sure there's going to be more of it. Um, but yeah, uh, let's leave it there today. I think you're going to give us a, a wrap up of the AFLW season. Yeah. We just want to talk about the, the women's season quickly because it's coming into finals time now. They've hit, they've finished the regular season. So it's a good time. If you haven't been watching the AFLW through the course of the year. Now is a good time to get in it because you're going to see the best six teams now every week. Um, and we have seen a gap between the better teams and the newer teams in the AFLW for sure. So this week, you know, you're guaranteed to see two games between two very good football sides or four very good football sides, I should say. Um, so it's ended last week in the regular season. So there's going to be three weeks of finals. Um, starting this week, they play a final six in the AFLW. So the top two get a bye in the first week. Teams three to six play elimination slash qualifying finals. Um, so Adelaide finished on top, the Crows, after a strong win against Collingwood in the last round. Um, so they get a week off. Brisbane came second. They get a week off as well. Um, so this week, we've got elimination finals on Saturday, um, Saturday afternoon slash early evening, I think. At least in finish time, they're very early in the morning. So whatever that translates <laughs> to in Australian time. I think one's on at 4 a.m. here. So I'll have to get up to watch it. Um, so Melbourne, Fremantle and Collingwood versus the Kangaroos are the, are the two um, qualifying finals. Who are you um, tipping, Steve? I'm going to tip Fremantle and Collingwood in those two okay. games. Yeah. And um, and uh, important thing to note with the AFL uh, W or so is the grand final gets played at the home time home ground of the top ranked team. So there's a good chance we'll have the grand final in either Adelaide or Brisbane since they've come one and two this year. Um, for the whole year, I reckon Adelaide is my tip to take it out. Erin Phillips is their star player. She is sensational. Watch her, seriously. She is an incredible footballer and athlete. Um, and another player that I'd love to tell you to watch, but I can't because her team, Carlton, didn't make the finals is Darcy Vecchio. She's um she's like a medium-sized forward from Carlton. She's very, very good. But yeah, we won't get to see her until round one next year. But yeah, we'll be giving updates on the finals the next few weeks. You, were you following the Blues in the AFLW, mate? I was because there's no Swannies team. I'd love the Swans oh, to have a team in there. It'd be, it'd be great. And you got to like, you got to sort of follow a team to get excited about the game. So I didn't support the Blues, but I had a soft spot for the Blues because my favourite player, Darcy Vecchio, was playing for them. So yeah, just it wouldn't be much of a podcast without you, mate. But you're treading a very yeah, fine line. Like, I'll um, tell you what, blue bagger. I didn't sing the song when they won or anything. Like I didn't go that far down the rabbit hole of danger. That's but, good, um, mate. I'm yeah. glad. Yeah. So we obviously desperately want an AFLW Swannies team. So that way we could get, I could have another Swans team to barrack for. So um, I think it's in the works, um, mm, but not yep. there yet. Um, yeah. I think you mentioned something about licensing and. and yeah, I guess stuff. there's 14 of the, of the 18 AFL teams right now have AFLW teams and um, in the original startup, only one went to New South Wales and the Giants got that one. So the Swans are hoping to get one in the next few years. 
their, their academy is coming along really well. We talked last week about the under 19 academy girls having a good win down at Geelong against the Falcons and they're developing some really good looking players. So hopefully soon. Yeah, fingers crossed, man. All right, well, um, you'll keep us updated in the coming weeks for, for the outcome of the AFLW, but let's move on to the last section of the this episode. We're going to look at the full round of games ahead. Um, of course, starting with the most important game of the round, the Swannies next game. So the fourth game of round three is an away game for the Bloods taking place uh, this Saturday, the 3rd of April at the MCG against the reigning premiers, Richmond, the dynasty Tigers <laughs> with first bounce at 1.45 PM local time. So Steve-O, let's, uh, let's talk about some of those injuries we, we touched upon earlier. Um, you know, likely ins and outs, who's under pressure. Um, okay, well, I guess Robottom is the obvious injury. From what I've read and what I've heard in the in the media this week, he's not likely to play, so he won't be an in. So it's a matter of is anyone going to be an out? Mm. Does Franklin play again? Obviously, a horse has been very vocal about um, you know Buddy's, um, I guess, preserving his um, ability to to just be in matches, and so even if he's fit, yeah, he may not play two games in a row. Um, so, you know, obviously the AFL industry are licking their lips at the prospect of a, of a Dusty v. Buddy game on, on a Saturday afternoon at, at, the, at the MCG, um, but maybe they rest him. What do you think? I think he'll play. Surely. Yeah. He looked <laughs> Come good. <on>. He looked, <laughs> he looked right. good. He, he sat he, out the last quarter. He'll play. He'll play. He kicked three, <laughs> two behinds. He got tackled. He got caught holding the ball in that. Um, I think the second quarter, yeah, or he did. first quarter. Yeah. That that should have been that should have been a goal. He was he was being selfless. Um, so look, yeah, I, I I back him in. If not, if if Buddy doesn't play, does Hayden McLean slip back in just for structure? You would think so. That'd be the obvious one. Um, yeah, but I think Buddy's in. If okay, so let's say Buddy's still in. Um, if Rowey doesn't bounce back. Um, we keep the same team uh, as is. If Rowie is fit, who comes out? Um, we were talking about this earlier before we before hmm. we came online, and um, I reckon Blakey would be the one. Okay, so let's talk about let's talk about Nick the Lizard Blakey. Um, obviously, burst out of the gates in his uh, first year in 2019. I think he played 20 out of 23. 20, to get, like he played the majority of the season. He kicked something like 10, 15, 20 goals. I'm, I'm, I think I'm positively remembering his performance, but I just remember him taking huge marks and kicking goals and doing whatever he wanted. Obviously, last year was his second year in a tough year um, in a coronavirus world. Um, so this is his third year, typically when a, pl- a young and upcoming player might break out. But I think we're saying that because last year was a bit of a – you know, a bit of a truncated year, short year, not your typical sort of um, AFL season, then perhaps some of his development is, or, you know, not just him, but other players um, is a little bit behind where it could be. But w- I think we were both noticing that he seemed to be sort of rushing or felt like he was like forcing a few things. So do you think he's under a bit of pressure, just internal pressure, just with all the competition we have at the moment? Yeah, maybe just trying to do a bit too much sometimes. I um, mean, we don't know what instructions he's got from the coaches. Maybe he's doing exactly what they want. So this is just from a like from a fan's viewpoint. But um, yeah, I mean, if I was a you know twenty something year old player, young player, third season guy, and you know you see these these three young jets coming through, you see guys like um like Warner and, and Wicks also coming through, and then you know you've got a lot of other people in your age bracket, and you're meant to be the like the established one who's had a full first year season and played most of his footy. Um, yeah, for sure. I reckon he'd be feeling pressure on his spot and maybe a bit of um, pressure to maybe every touch you get, try and make it something. Yeah. And it, it did look like that a couple of times to sort of um, wasn't getting clean possessions. I mean, he was under pressure, you know, so we can't be too harsh on the guy. And, you know, he, he is a giant of a man playing in the midfield. So, um, or on the wing rather, but yeah, he, there are not only the young the young guys the the debutant or the you know the first second gamers coming through, but there's also the likes of you know, as you're saying Warner Wicks and McInerney who are sort of already in that best 22 23. But then on the fringes you've got Hayward, uh, Ling, uh, Dylan Stevens again who I, I thought may have come in for McInerney. So there is like a, a very healthy amount of pressure. So. I mean, obviously, I think the East Coast VFL doesn't uh, kick off until 
um, maybe a couple of weeks into April. So, you know, do you do you sit him? Do you, do you give him a week off, um, knowing that he might not have a, an actual league game to to get a bit of confidence in? Um, look, I think that. Or, or if, do you? Or do you? Sorry. Or, or do yeah. you run? Do you run with the same team, hoping that he'll he just had a bit of a quiet game? Because he, I think he had a better game round one, uh, but the game against the Crows uh, just looked like he. Yeah, as you're saying, maybe possibly trying to do too much. Yeah, if there are guys bashing down the door that are demanded to be selected, then you need to reward their um, their work to get into the team. But at the same time, if if there isn't, then you know he stays in. Um, so who? Let's assume there is, and who who might that be? What do you mean? Who might what be? Well, who who comes in if if Blakey hypothetically gets dropped for a week? And it's a big if, and we're being super critical, right? But if if Blakey gets dropped for a week, who comes in for him? And Robottom uh, isn't fit. Uh, Haywood or Stevens, one of those two. Yeah. Okay. So I think probably if you go, if you are going to go down that route in that hypothetical scenario then probably Stevens because I think he he's been had been performing um, quite well and it came down to McInerney and Stevens I think before the Crows game and obviously Juzzy uh, McInerney got the call um, or the nod rather so given that Blakey is that wing position that can drift forward or is a bit of a runner I would think maybe Stevens could potentially get the call up. Um, that said, Haywood was obviously the medical sub in round one, um, whereas Lingy, Matt, Matt Ling was the med- medical sub in round two. So, yeah, it is sort of a little bit hard to predict, isn't it? And and obviously it'll come down to whoever's fit uh, when they make those announcements um, uh, either today or tomorrow. But um, very interesting nonetheless. So which swan flies high? Who plays well? I think... But he's going to play, he's going to have a blinder. I mean, there's been so much criticism over the years, especially out of Melbourne, about um, about the Buddy contract and everything. And I think those in New South Wales footy understand his value for bringing people to the game. And this week, I think the Victorians or the Melbournians are going to see that value when he brings in an extra five to 10,000 people to the MCG just to watch him. Yeah, weren't you talking about badges or something? Off yeah, there? yeah, Dusty. Yeah. Dusty badges versus Buddy badges, and whoever sells more is the true current champion of the game, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll know Buddy's true value if he can outsell Dustin Martin badges in the in the gift shops at the MCG on Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. Look, I, I think if you know if they roll with Buddy, and let's hope they do, um, he you know his, his legs are a week better for it. Um, you know. I think yeah, if he even if even if he doesn't kick goals, he, he provides that extra target, that extra uh, focus and attention from the Richmond backline, who are a sensational unit, right? Let's take nothing away from them, um, but hopefully we can keep the the same structure we've got because it's been working. Um, okay, so what what players do we need to look out for? Obviously, we've mentioned Dusty is the best player at the moment has been for the past couple of years. So that's a bit of a, a granted. Um, here's a question for you again, without notice, steve do we throw Hewitt onto Dusty? I know he's been playing in the back line, but he's also been very good at tagging roles in the past. Yeah, he'd be one. I'm, I'm not sure because he's so explosive, Martin. So who do you play on him? I mean, that, my guess is you probably roll a few through him over the course of the game to try and tire him out. But um, yeah, I guess Hewitt would be one. Heaney, I think Heaney's got that sort of level of explosiveness, but um, he, you, you sort of want Heaney free to do the things that that, that he can do um, rather than focus on a shutdown role. But yeah, I mean, other okay, other than Dusty, who are, shout out a couple of uh, players from each line um, from the Tigers that we think are players that we need to be careful of. Um, well, the ones for me that always stand is their their forward group because we know what we're going to get from their back line and their midfield a lot of the time. Um, if their forward line fires, if their two big, um, big talls in Lynch and Revolt can get up and about, or even one of them can, and also if their um, their big bunch of, of aggressive small forwards can have an impact, I think that's where um, the game could be won or lost. Yeah, definitely, and we know how brutal the Tigers can be. Um, especially it's for me, it's about turnovers. I think you know it's it's just so predictable. You know they they put these they they all this tackle pressure, they, they squeeze and squeeze and squeeze. You, you, you lose possession, you bobble it, you, you turn it over, and then they just punish you. They just, within seconds, they punish you. So I don't know. I mean, we have been quite clean in the first two rounds. We've been skillful. We've been precise. So if we can carry that level of, of accuracy in our, um, you know, movements, 
then then and limit the the amount of turnovers we give them but then still keep our you know our that structure up forward with you know mark, marking targets at the same time trying to stifle their scoring ability obviously we we touched upon the fact that we've been uh, we've let in a lot of points in the first two rounds then yeah maybe maybe we can stay with them i don't know yeah, I mean, I guess one thing that we cannot do is give them 33 scoring shots or we're going to get thrashed or give them a two or three goal start like we have the last two weeks. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think, I think obviously, I think about fantasy and I think about players like Jaden Short, who's uh, is primed for a massive year, just the way he uses it off the halfback. He's a little bit like a right-footed Braden Campbell. He's got a, a punishing right leg um, and he's looking brilliant, really just feeding, you know, their midfield and giving them so many opportunities uh, of late. The other player for me, uh, for them is, I think it's Shay Bolton or Shy Bolton. Um, he's just like looking more and more dangerous. He, he, he's a little bit like Chad Warner in the sense that he, he's just got this, just, uh, you know, just raw talent to be able to clear uh, stoppages. He just somehow gets in the right position, pick up the ball, spin out, and then just get it moving forward. So for me, there are a couple of, you know, obviously it's a team effort for them. They're very open and public about the fact that it's um, a system and a style and a well-oiled machine and pretty much anyone can come in and perform a role. But yeah, there are a couple of players, I think, who are who are looking the goods at the moment. But okay, Steve-O, big question. Can we get the W? Who are you tipping? Um... I'm going with the Tigers and and I'll mention now, because I remember last week we talked about how the Swans are the bevy because they're the bevy of Swans is the collective way to refer to a group of Swans. I've been doing some Googling and Tigers are an ambush of Tigers. So this week we've got the bevy versus the ambush and yeah, I'm with Richmond, I'm afraid. Okay, mate. So round one, um, we pulled the pants down from the Lions. They lost their pride, the pride of Lions. Round two, we murdered... The, the murder of crows. Well, we did, you know, they can't, you know, that's a lot of scoring shots, but we murdered the murder. And so this week it's the bevy versus the ambush or rather the ambush at their home deck versus the bevy. And so are they lying in wait to ambush us or can we ambush them because everyone thinks that, that they're just going to win? Mm. What do you reckon? I'm picking the Swannies, mate. Ooh. I'm picking the Swannies. I, I have a, 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 a quiet fit. So long as we can, can run with them until half time. I think we're a good chance to 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 keep to run throughout the whole um, four quarters. Um, obviously, so long as we're scoring as we have in the first two weeks, and we tighten up our defense. Obviously, Rampy, um, as you as you said, uh, Lynch and Rewall. Well, you, you'd imagine Rampy and McCartan um, hop on it, one, one of those and switch throughout the game. As long as we can shut down that that those talls and shorts, I think we're in with a good chance. Are you you're less confident? Yeah, I think Richmond will have too much. Right. Well, thank you for successfully bursting my bubble, mate. I've just <laughs> been on. I've been on. I think we we're talking about this. We, we didn't expect much from this year, and then we've come bursting out of the blocks with two fantastic wins. And now we're all of our expectations are all over the place. So maybe I'm expecting too much at the moment. But yeah, how about you, Mister Reality? <laughs> yeah. Look, I don't know. I mean, I think I've just spent too many years following the Swans in like the '80s and '90s that. Um, that expecting the positive doesn't sit well with me. <laughs> like I prefer to go into a game expecting to walk away with a loss. And then if you get a win, then wow. It always feels good when you go in as the underdog. And I, I know that the Bloods have had that underdog tag for, for many, uh, you know, many times throughout the years. But and I think we're very still much the underdog coming into this round. But obviously off the back of two wins, one against a team that's meant to be very good and one against a team that's meant to be about where we are, but have also had a good start to the season, a good end to the to the last season. So, yeah, it's going to be exciting. So, all right, um, I'm picking the Swans and you're picking the Tigers. Yep. All right. Okay. With that uh, Swans focus out of the way, let's jump back to game one for round three. And I'll uh, I'll take the first four games and then you take the, the second four games. So game one is ninth place Collingwood against 14th place Brisbane at Marvel on Thursday night. Obviously, this was scheduled to take place in Brisbane, um, but because of the, the current um, COVID cluster there at the moment, uh, the Lions stayed in Victoria after the, the Cats game and it will now take place in... Uh, at Marvel, a home game for Collingwood. So um, I think Collingwood, um, after the way that they played in round two, showed that they 
were much better than they were in round one um, against the Dogs. Um, so, and the fact that the Lions are now without Oscar McInerney, who 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 soldiered on so well, can I say, against the Cats. Um, but I just don't know if, like losing, he's a big out, I think, because I think they've got to share the ruck responsibilities with Danaher, Fullerton, young Fullerton, and uh, Connor Ballenden. So I think Brady Grundy's going to have a field day there. And I think, I just think the pies are probably going to click. So I'm picking the pies for that one, mate. How about you? Yeah, I think Collingwood too. I mean, if you looked at Lions versus us in the first round, and we talked about how we really dominated them in uncontested ball. And then if you look at them again, Lions versus Geelong on in round two, they got beaten 241 to 140 in uncontested ball. They need to, to start fixing that up. And I think that Collingwood will, will get it. Yeah, yeah. It's not super panic stations for the Lions, but yeah, I think Fagan would have uh, a few um, scary thoughts running through his head. So anyway, pressure, pressure game there, but... Um, yeah, all the best. Uh, game two is the current Wooden Spooners, uh, North Melbourne versus the fifth place Bulldogs, who looked fantastic. What a game against the Eagles last last round. That could have been a grand final. But anyway, this is at Marvel on Friday afternoon. Um, and I'm just going to keep it very simple. The Bulldogs here, clearly. Agree. Yep. Yep. Um, I think they're going to be a top four team if they keep playing the way they're playing. Um Game three is 12th placed Adelaide versus sixth placed Gold Coast. And this is at Adelaide Oval on Friday night. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to back the Crows in here, mate, because I think they, they're looking good and they're playing exciting footy as well. And if they, if they kick straight, they're going to, they're probably going to, they might do a number on the Gold Coast Suns. How do you see it? Yeah, I think so. I agree with you. I'm tipping, I'm tipping Adelaide. I think um, they've got some good looking young players coming through. And if Tex Walker can kick five or six a week, they're going to be hard to beat. So yeah, Adelaide is my tip. Fantastic. Uh, game four of the round, obviously, is Tigers-Swans, um, and we've already done that. So we'll move on to game five. 17th placed Essendon versus 10th placed St Kilda. This is at Marvel on Saturday afternoon. Uh, Essendon have just had three uh, injuries uh, at the end of last round. So Sam Draper with an ankle, uh, Jai Corwell with a hammy, and Dylan Shiel, I think, did something to his knee. He's going to be out for quite a long time. So they're three pretty big outs. Um, and the Saints, although they got jumped by, by the D's last week, still looked good against the Giants uh, in round one. Um, and this is at Marvel, their you know, quote-unquote home ground. So I'm going to go with the Saints with this one, mate. Yeah, me too. I mean, that's okay, they lost St Kilda lost to, um, to Melbourne, but Melbourne looked good. So um, I look at that game as much a reflection of how Melbourne are going as, as St Kilda. So, yep, Saints to win. Okay, mate. Well, I'll hand over to you for the last four. Okay, so the sixth game of the round, we've got the seventh-placed Eagles up against the top-of-the-table Port Adelaide Power over at Optus on Saturday night. Um, this is an exciting game because both teams have got top-four claims, I think. This is the match of the round for me, actually, as a, besides the Swans game, which I'm, I'm keen on. But if I was a neutral, I'd be really interested in this one. They're two real potential contender teams um, and it's in Perth, but I think that Port Adelaide with the exciting style they're playing and with, um, with former Swan Alia Alia dominating their back line, um, I'm on Port to win. Yeah, look, I'm going to go with the Eagles only because it's at Optus. And again, this was a little bit like last week with the Eagles and Dogs. I do think it's going to be a close game, but I'm going to go the Eagles. Um, a couple of reasons. I think Nick, Nick, Nick Nat was just off the hook last week. He was just doing, he was doing all those things I wish we had a Ruckman did. <laughs> no, 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 slide, no slide against Tom Hickey, but Nick Nat had it on a string. Um, he, he got a bit of a finger to the eye from Steph Martin. Not in, you know, obviously it wasn't intentional, but hopefully he pulls up fine. I think Luke Shuey is touted to come back and that's a pretty big in um, for, you know, the fact that he's the captain and um, obviously adds that. Um, like he, he sort of reminds me of Luke Parker in a sense, that sort of, you know, just a very reliable player. Um, that said, the, the three forwards for the Eagles uh, continue to look great. You know, Kennedy, Darling and Allen. I don't know. But the Port Adelaide, they are looking very good as well, aren't they? So I'm going to go the Eagles just as a point of difference. Okay. <laughs> sure. Try and, try and claw I, a few I back. Think, I think I'm ahead in the, I, in the thing. Yeah. So. It's, it's not panic stations yet, but I need to do a couple of things to, to claw a few points back, mate. But <laughs> uh, So I could actually just tip the same as you for the rest of the year and I win. 
Yes, but let's let's keep it fun and, and real for the listeners. Yeah, we won't do that. All right, so game seven is um, 15th place Carlton, 8th placed Fremantle. It's at Marvel in Melbourne on Sunday afternoon. Um, I don't have a huge amount to say about this besides I've been very disappointed in Carlton and pleasantly surprised by Fremantle, and I'm going to tip the Dockers. Yeah, my, my thoughts exactly. I'm going the Dockers. Uh, obviously, Nat, Nat Fife is a big out, um, but... Um, yeah, I just think they they looked very exciting. They looked they played a very good brand of footy. Brayshaw and 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 Sarah, Sarong, Young. They're just they're sort of like a little bit like the Swans. They got all these like great young players coming through and a good blend of of age and experience. David Mundy, mate, that guy, he's like an energizer bunny. He just keeps going. Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'll pick the Dockers, mate. Yeah, good. So. Next game, we've got um, the 16th place GWS Giants versus the fourth place Melbourne in Canberra, Monica Oval, Sunday after Sunday evening. Sorry. Yeah, um, I'm not going to overthink. I, yeah, yeah, I don't know much mate. to say. I, I really, I think Melbourne's going to belt them. Yeah, same. I think that that if the if the Giants don't step up this round, then that is almost their season done. I know it's a, it's a long season again, but. My goodness, they looked terrible against the Dockers, didn't they? So, yep. yeah, demons. Yeah, yeah, me too. And, okay, so last game of the round, we got um, 11th placed Geelong versus 13th placed Hawthorne Hawks at the MCG on Easter Monday. I reckon Geelong are going to have too much for them. I think Hawthorne have shown some good signs so far, but Geelong are a strong side. I mean, they had a, a slip out there against Adelaide first round. They came up against um, uh, round to opposition that had also come off a loss in Brisbane. Um, they looked pretty good. Brisbane came back at them, but again, Geelong was able to do the job when they needed to, and I think they'll do the job against the Hawks. Yeah, uh, I mean, that last call was a shocker against the Lions, but, um, yeah, f- f- yeah, free kicks. They could go either way on any given night. But, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going the Cats as well. Obviously, Paddy's a big out, um, second of his uh, three weeks, but um, the, the midfield unit looked pretty good against the Lions and, you know, Parfit and Constable um, and Jordan Clark had had, the, had good games. Um, I think Menegola might be coming back this week. I don't know where Mitch Duncan is, uh, how far away he is. But, yeah, I just think Geelong have... You know, they've, they've, they're quite set up down back. Um, obviously, it'd be way better if they had Jeremy Cameron there as well with the Tomahawk. But, yeah, I'm, I'm uh, although although Hawthorne did look okay against the Tigers in patches last round, um, yeah, they just don't – they're not quite there yet. Obviously, Will Day gutted for him, ankle injury. Um, I called him out as a, as a player of interest. But, um, yeah, I think the Cats, mate. Yeah, we agree. Awesome. All right. Well, that, that's our tips for the uh, round coming up. Um, as we mentioned earlier, uh, we'll wait a couple more rounds and give uh, the listeners a an update as to who is winning. Um, my pick is that Steve-O will be winning in a, in a couple of weeks, but I'll, I'll keep trying my best and, and try not to pick the swans. I, I'll use my head rather than my heart, but uh, it doesn't always play out like that with me. <laughs> All right. Um, so that brings us to the end of this episode. Uh, before we sign off, uh, Steve-O, do you have anything else you want to say, mate? No, no. Just, yeah, I think looking forward to a cracker against the Tigers. It's exciting to be, you know, big stage, MCG, exciting young team, uh, three-time premiers. It's a, yeah, good game. I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely, mate. Let's ambush the ambush. Um, okay, mate. Um, then on behalf of the bevy, I'd like to just say uh, thank you to everyone for listening. We look forward to you joining us next time. Make sure to follow us on our Instagram and Facebook pages at a Bevy of Bloods uh, for our other updates and tidbits here and there. Until then, up the Bloods and can the Swannies.